0: and welcome to the Motor Mouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. We've partnered with the Brain Tumour Charity, a cause that means a great deal to me personally. And thanks to our partnership, we've been able to create a short series of special podcasts uncovering those within the motorsport community who've been affected by these devastating diagnoses. You can hear my story as well as the Williams Formula One team's planning director Richard Jones now with more to come also if you feel like getting involved further the Brain Tumor Charity is running the Conquer the Challenge through till May a virtual fundraiser for those fitness inclined and there's a leaderboard so if you're competitive this is for you all the details are at braintumorcharity.org together we can help every single person affected by a brain tumour now as you know without you and our sponsors we wouldn't be able to carry on doing what we do which is bringing you the biggest name in motorsport and delving into their lives and opinions this season we couldn't be happier to be teaming up with F1 Experiences the official experience hospitality and travel program of Formula 1 F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport and let's face it any chance to get close to Formula One this year, we're all over it. With F1 Experience's official ticket packages coming direct from Formula One, you can get unique access that simply isn't available anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 Experience, visit F1Experiences.com where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 Experiences package by using the code Motormouth when checking out online. Good things come to those who listen to the Motormouth podcast. Don't say we don't treat you well so what are you waiting for the 2021 f1 season is set to be one of the closest in years so get booking your f1 experience today with f1 experiences.com
1: hello tim Sylvie here now today is another ridiculous day here at motormouth hq over the last few weeks we've had former formula one and indycar champions we've had team bosses pundits and motorsport thought leaders and with each passing show it feels like we're announcing our biggest guest to date but today feels like we might just have trumped it again however before we get onto that i have to head as always over to essex to introduce my co-host but first did you know that the town of walden in essex was the uk's hq for the production of saffron spice which is pound for pound the most expensive spice on the planet from the 16th century, Walden's favourable soil and climate made it the perfect breeding ground for the tiny crimson threads that were sold and exported across the world. So synonymous was the town with the spice that it became, Saffron Walden, which it remains to this very day. Harry Bendup, Benjamin, what do you make of that?
0: I don't think you're going to get any of those kind of facts on any other motorsport podcast. You're so we Got the we've got the monopoly on that at least so that's good uh it's very very it's always good to learn new facts about Essex it's excellent uh I'm very well though in the
1: meantime Tim how are you yeah not too bad thank you um I know we're tight on time because we have a very busy guest today so shall I crack on and introduce the man
0: yes do very important guest I even put on a shirt for today yeah, so I you do. know it's important
1: I went t-shirt poor poor effort
0: poor show come <laughs> <Right>. on Tim.
1: <laughs> Nico Rosberg was a six-year-old boy when he decided he was going to follow in his father's footsteps and make it to become a Formula One world champion. Twenty-five years later, he did it, and he did it in style with the best mic drop the F1 fraternity has ever seen, with an almost instant retirement after a mere five days securing the most sought-after title in global motorsport. We're here to learn more about the man, the driver, the businessman, and the entrepreneur, Nico Rosberg. A huge welcome to the
0: to be
2: here and hello to all of you Motormouth fans
0: <laughs> thank you so much for joining us nico and taking time out we'll, we'll dive straight here because what we like to see at the start of every single podcast is just take it back to the very beginning just briefly and our listeners would love to sort of hear about what it was like just for you starting out in your early life and obviously growing up in a motorsport family was there any
2: other option aside from motorsport um well i was obviously very fortunate to grow up uh, Um, watching my father race you know and it was so inspiring so powerful he was racing uh, in DTM at the time which was the world's leading touring car championship and uh, and of course there with I mean there was 80,000 fans there was it was crazy the technology the battles I absolutely loved it and that's where my dream started as well.
1: And at that point you're you're growing up your racing when you move into racing you you're very close to your father when you do it he he becomes your manager and helps guide you through carts and so on that must have been a very special time for you and and a nice period to share a passion with your father all those years ago
2: yeah of course it was such a great father son activity and and of course also uh, a huge help but that he, ha- he had all that knowledge and experience and cuz he'd done it before with Mika Hakkinen he'd taken Mika Hakkinen as a manager from go-karting all the way to the Formula One World Championship. So he had done that whole path with a driver already, so he could just kind of replicate it with me. Um, and, and he was very, very supportive. So that was great. Nevertheless, also, uh, it's never easy, you know, father, son. And uh, the, the, definitely he was also expecting me to to perform in life, not just in racing, but in life, to, to push and to uh, achieve something. Uh, so there was also some expectation. <laughs>
0: How did you manage that pressure? Because obviously, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, as you just said.
2: The pressure didn't come from my dad. It was mainly, I just put the pressure on Mm. myself because uh, I want to impress and I want my parents to be proud of me. And so I put the pressure on myself to do well. Um, And not only my parents, I want also uh, uh, friends, family, and, and even beyond that, the public to to um, have uh, respect for me and for
1: what I achieve. Do you, do you ever give uh, give your dad a hard time? Because uh, you've started more races than him in F1, but you have considerably more wins. It, it, is there ever a little poke in the ribs and like, you know, dad, come on, I've, I've done a bit better than you here in the end?
2: Actually, no, I mean, you say that uh, I could do it sometimes, yes, but I've never <laughs> thought of it that way, and I never actually <laughs> use that as, as poking at all because what my dad achieved was also amazing and, yeah. um, and you can't really, uh, you can't really compare the episodes, uh, or the, 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 um, you know, times and it's so different, yeah. but I do remember that my dad was my mechanic once in the very beginning of go-karting and I went out and, and I lost the tire in the middle of a corner. Like it's never happened. That doesn't happen usually. So he forgot to tighten the bolt. <laughs> and uh, so we had a bit of a discussion and we agreed that he shouldn't be, uh, he shouldn't be my mechanic anywhere anymore from then
0: on. That was not one of his <laughs> uh, his strengths.
2: Definitely uh, not. No, <laughs> mechanicing was not the strength.
0: But still, what what an amazing, amazing experience to have, of course, with your dad being there right from the beginning. Was there a moment where you thought, when, when Formula One was becoming a reality and you, you were joining the fraternity, did you think from the start, I can be a world champion?
2: No, never. That's... Um... I don't know if it's a weakness or strength, but I never had such a high self-belief about myself. Um, that was the dream, of course, to become world champion, but totally impossible to reach. Even F1 was impossible to reach, and and I never even believed that I could get to F1. Um, so uh, and I don't know. I mean, at, at least I can maybe give a little bit of hope to everybody who's listening who also doesn't have so much self-confidence, self-belief, that it's not a problem. You can achieve great things even if you don't believe it, as long as you hustle, you're committed, and you're absolutely flat out giving it everything you can, you can achieve massive things. Because yeah. people, you often hear, hey, what, just believe in yourself. you got to believe in yourself, believe in yourself. I've tried to work on that with a with a mental coach for like 10 years to try and increase my belief in myself and didn't really manage to improve it. So um, it's you can't just hit a switch and suddenly believe in yourself. It doesn't work like that. So it comes down to preparation and just fighting like mad and... Uh, and being dedicated
1: I, I think that'll be a really nice thing for our listeners to hear because you know watching you race in Formula One all those years and watching you through your career I don't think all that many people are probably aware that you had any self-belief issues you know it, it felt like from the outside looking in that you know you were very confident and and, and self-assured it, it, it was that a misconception do you think Did, do you think you you hid that that part of you from from the public when you were racing
2: of course, there's so much Hollywood going on. I mean, we're uh, we we look like these gladiators in our armor. We look like we're superhuman in that race car, um, but we have the same issues and and worries and fears as as everybody else. Um, in of course, some more, some some less, but uh, we we all have those uh, struggles. And and in fact, you often say that only real opponent in racing is yourself <laughs> um and it's it's really um getting the best out of yourself and dealing with all these worries and fears and uh and things like that
0: I think, as Tim said, a lot of people take so much comfort in that. It's it's brilliant that you're so open and honest about it. I think it's really refreshing as well for for you know athletes to to talk about that this kind of thing too. Um, now, your career is obviously incredibly well documented. So we are just touching on on a few key things before before we get to your latest ventures. And one of the things I wanted to talk about was China. Now, in Formula One, you've always had a, a bit of a love of China around that track. You've always done quite well there. You got your first pole position there in 2012, going on to win. You must have some really fond memories of China. Anything particular
2: about the track? Do you have a lot of Chinese listeners then, or why are we, why are we touching on oh, China? Oh, loads.
0: I just thought it was quite a nice start for you.
2: <laughs> oh, China, yes, China is a special place for me, because also there, it took me 111 races. Um, yeah, yeah to, to win a uh, uh, first race. And of course, after about 90 or a hundred races, you think, okay, maybe it's just not meant to be. And I'm never going to win a formula one race. Um, and, uh, and so all the self-doubt creeps in massively. And, and then to finally get it though, was, uh, was such a, I mean, such a special moment. It's such a breakthrough. It's so powerful. You forever, you're going to be a formula one race winner. That's so big. When you were at
0: Mercedes during those years, could you, did you see what was coming, or was it uh, was it did were you taken by surprise, or was the hard work that that was there from the very moment you joined Mercedes?
2: Yeah, I saw what was coming. This was never going to work out. Like we were going, <laughs> we were going backwards. Like this was a the, at the times it was a real disaster. <laughs> um, so th- I definitely saw what was coming. Uh, it was going backwards. <laughs> but it was just, I mean, there it's testament to Ross Braun, uh, Ross yeah, Braun who is absolutely. now the managing director for sporting activities in Formula One, and. And he, um, he initiated this uh, transition from Mercedes to get back to being the best and now the best of all time um, because he chose some, he made some very smart personnel decisions. And people don't really know that. But like if you take, so for example, um, the chief constructor uh, he took, which was an old uh, friend of his from Ferrari days, it was Aldo Costa, the aerodynamicist he took, um, those kind of people were so key in turning this thing around. And, and so definitely Ross has a big part in this
1: as well. Now mm. let's talk teammates um, and Lewis. So you and Lewis had a long history before you, you faced off in Formula One. When did you first come across him in a competitive environment? And I think a lot of people probably think you guys didn't necessarily get on, but that, that wasn't the case.
2: We were uh, best friends. We were best friends. We went on holiday together. We shared a hotel room all year because it was just the two of us in, in the karting team at the time. And, and it was all paid by, it was paid by uh, McLaren and, and Mercedes um so they were paying for our racing so it was a it was a great time and um now i understand why it was quite difficult to beat him in go karts <laughs> <laughs> now I, I definitely do understand <laughs> because i was kind of like um b- before he arrived i was yeah i was i was always getting the pole positions and and winning and then suddenly he arrived and he was a real threat together with kubica really um and then even and then he won the big championship even when we were racing together there and i finished second so so that was a tough one to digest but at the time it's just so much easier you can even if he wins and I'm second we we can easily still be best friends off track um because it's just there's so much less going on so yeah. much less interest so much less importance um so it just makes it all a lot easier
0: when the Mercedes car started to become the the dominant team in Formula 1 2014 you're you already been teammates for a year when was it uh, when was the moment where you know, the relationship started to change a bit was it straight off the bat when you both knew you had a car that could fight for the championship or did it take a bit of time
2: no it took a bit of time it was primarily then when when we're really like fighting for the race wins and championships that's when it just becomes so incredibly intense mm. and especially when it's just it's just the two of us i mean it's us two against each other and that's it um so that's when it's uh, when when it kind of uh, spiraled a bit downwards but the respect nevertheless has always uh, has always stayed and and I also have huge respect for for what he's achieved, and um, and I find it so fantastic. Which is, is a move to the next point now that we're meeting again now. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like Nico versus Lewis uh, two point yeah, It's <laughs> amazing this time as team owners um, it, in, it, this, it, in this new championship that we're going to
1: touch on. It's so funny that, that you've now come full circle and you're going to be doing it again as team owners. And we're, we're going to come on to that shortly. I, w- I want to fast forward slightly to 2016. Um, you won the world championship, an astonishing year to be a Formula One fan. Um, the dramas that unfolded that year, the dramas in Spain between you and Lewis, then going on to share victories on your way to clinching the title in Abu Dhabi. After all those years of hard work, working with your father, coming up through the sport, take us back to that day, crossing the line. How did it feel?
2: Well, it was 20 years in the making for me. So imagine you're, you're working for something for 20 years, dedicating your life to that. Um, and then it was just incredibly uh, intense because throughout that one race, which was the deciding race and end of the year, in my mind, I lost the championship twice. Um, There was two phases in the race where I was convinced, okay, I've lost this. And that was so tough to manage mentally then in those situations because I had to stay focused and I was fighting one of the most risky drivers out there in in Max Verstappen. Um, But that's really where all my preparation uh, came in handy and that made the difference. I've been working with a mental trainer and a a psychologist since 10 years to prepare for such moments. I, I put so much effort into the mental preparation with meditation and and the uh, visualization and everything that goes into it, and then that helps to just not make that mistake when the pressure is at its absolute peak. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, so then crossed the line, became world champion, and fulfilled my dream. Really, so it was. It's emotionally so powerful. Lucky to experience that, and that's one of the things that I, I will forever miss. That I will not uh, be uh, able to experience such an emotionally powerful explosion. Um, again, in ever, I think, in
0: life. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, F1 Experiences. F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula One, giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsport. Official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first-class hotels and transfers and unprecedented access, including driver appearances, private pit lane walks, behind-the-scenes tours of the illustrious F1 paddock, team garages, the famous podium, and loads more. It's the closest you can get to Formula One. And thanks to F1 Experiences, Motormouth listeners can save 5% on your next F1 Experiences package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when booking online at f1experiences.com. And then the mic drop moment and retirement, when did that first cross your mind?
2: Um, the thought was a couple of months already before the end there, as I was taking the big championship lead, I thought, okay, if I bring this home now, I think it could be a, a good moment to, uh, to move on in life. Um, but I never really believed that I could do it. And then when I crossed the line though, and that pressure released, I felt like, okay, this really feels like a, a good moment to maybe pull it through. Um, but still, it still took a lot of courage because it was a, a jump into complete unknown. Like I hadn't play, planned anything for the post career. Um, so it took a lot of courage from my side but then uh, I committed it just felt right I committed and and the exit was uh, was it, exiting is is um it's an important thing for me to exit on the on a, on a high and this exit was like I mean for me the most most beautiful so of course I'm sorry for for the fans that were following me but still thankful for all those years and and I'm hoping that everybody understands that for me it was it was the best to to move on in exactly that moment when I fulfilled everything I dreamed
1: of. Yeah, and it and timing wise it's all worked out very nicely for you. we're we're gonna come on to um what you're doing now and obviously extreme e and sustainability and, and your green tech festival. Before we do, we have something very important which puts your Formula One One Championship completely in the shade. This is the Motormouth quiz. I will hand over to my illustrious colleague to introduce it.
0: Yes, Nico Rosberg. Welcome to Motor Mouth, the hardest quiz in motorsport. We have four bits of uh, four clips to play you, and you're going to you're going to hear them, and then we just want you to provide a little bit of context for them, and uh, and then you get points basically. Do based you have to provide that.
2: context after the clip, or do you? Remember? Yes,
0: after the clip. Okay. So uh, there are 14 points up for grabs. Now, at the moment, if we're looking at the top, the top tier of, uh, of the table, Mark Webber's up there with 12, Brendan Hartley on 12 and a half, Alexander Sims and Dil Baggill currently top it with 14. And then, unfortunately, people like Mario Andretti, Johnny Herbert are all the way down at about 30th position. They did not do very well. Uh, okay. And last is Karun Chandhok with three and a half points. So that's the one to beat. <laughs> um, are you ready for your first I'm game? ready let's doing. do it here tim play clip number one here it comes I have
2: all the all the testing all day long so there's a lot of preparing technically um for the weekend for saturday sunday that's the most uh that's the most important uh period <laughs> of the weekend and um i know this <laughs> yeah, so then. michael michael and sebastian it was michael telling sebastian to to put the mic uh, <laughs> closer to my mouth and sebastian did that then
0: that was brilliant do you remember what year it was
2: Ooh, that's a toughie. So Michael Michael was obviously my teammate, so let's go for. Um, I mean, it's 10, 11, 12. Let's take a guess. Sebastian was sitting there, uh, obviously in a, in a Red Bull uh, shirt. So let's go for 2011.
0: Oh, oh it was 2012, so that's but not you, fair. you still get two points for that two out of three. It's a very good start. Let's move on to clip number two. Have a listen to
1: this. Here
2: we go. Brilliant stuff! Brilliant! What
0: a car you've given me! What a car! Unbelievable! Probably quite a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for a race and uh, a year. Let's go for a China 2012 oh it's worth a guess it was actually I'm going to give you a point because you've obviously won a race I'm assuming you know that because I'm being very generous it was actually Australia 2014 so I'm the first time you crossed the line uh, winning in, in that Mercedes dominant car okay okay how,
2: how on earth should I come on <laughs> it's the hardest quiz in motorsport it's the hardest
0: quiz in motorsport Nico that's what okay, we're here okay. for okay. Um, okay clip number three have a listen
2: Right. <laughs> Abu, Dhabi. Yes. Abu Dhabi 2016, 23 seconds after crossing the finish line. <laughs> Got it, in
0: one. Don't need to say any more on that. What a moment for you. Okay, one more clip for you. Here we
2: go. This one makes me chuckle. Quite another question. Gentlemen, a short view back to the past. 30 <laughs> years ago, Niki Lauda told us, take a drink, uh, monkey, place him into the cockpit,
1: and he is able to... To drive the car. Oh, yeah. We're not going to play the no, whole we're thing. We're not play playing the whole thing
0: because it goes on for about three minutes. But uh,
1: what's yeah. happening there? I mean,
2: Lewis is sitting there as well, I think, yeah. Lewis Lewis uh, cracks up massively because I think <laughs> the question does the question not go to Lewis? I think. And um, so let's. Uh, I mean, how the hell? did one. I mean, okay, he's a German guy, so let's take let's 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 take a German race. I'll go for Hockenheim, 2000 and, um, 2014.
0: I'm going to give you the point for 2014, but it was actually in Abu Dhabi. Uh, and you get the point for the journalist, but it was actually directed at you and Sebastian, that question. So okay. out of all that, I'm going to give you one and a half points on that one.
1: The most ridiculous here, question ever asked in a... In oh no, it's, the, it's, the,
0: it's it's iconic, really. Okay, your final bonus question is, how many points did you score in the 2016 F1 season? And if you get within 10, you get the point either side.
2: Oh man, um, three hundred and eighty-one. Oh, oh, yeah, three
0: hundred eighty-five. You get the full point. Well done. <laughs> Nailed it. Right, let me do this some quick maths. One, two, three, four, six, seven. Solid mid table. Okay, mid-table. Nico Rosberg, we're looking at mid table. I'm afraid I'm going to be upfront and honest about that. We're at eight and a half points, which puts you right with. Just above Johnny Herbert and just just below Thierry Neville. so it's good company, but unfortunately not quite at the top. Uh, we'll 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 stick to talking about the F1 World Championship, shall we?
2: <laughs> okay that was hard it,
0: t- the t- hardest, t- hardest t- quiz in motorsport but well motorsport. done you completed it it was Thank a solid solid t-
1: effort <laughs> now let, let's turn our attention to more modern days so leaving Formula One it gives you instant control over your time and your future after all those years of control you found your niche now in sustainability and green technology as an entrepreneur and investor where does that climate change and sustainability purpose and passion come from
2: um, I, I made a promise for, uh, to myself really after stopping my career that as an entrepreneur um, I want to be of service to, to mankind to the, for the greater good um, and, and really dedicate all my projects um, and, and focus on that and and then um, yeah sustainability uh, I mean primarily coming away coming out of mobility which is going electric because the mobility industry is one of the top uh, top three emitting uh, sectors you know so uh, it's causing a lot of damage uh, longer term. And there's a huge opportunity there in mobility to make a difference. So that's really how I started my path as an investor, um, investing into multiple startups. And uh, that's how everything started. And your Green
0: Tech Festival that you're, you're heavily involved with, and actually you've started, tell us a bit more about that.
2: Yeah, so I'm also a founder now um, yeah. for for two, uh, two companies, and I'm very proud of that. Um, so there's first of all the Green Tech Festival in Berlin. Um, which, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a global platform. Um, and we really we hope to empower uh, change makers and also like all the innovative green technologies, bring everything together, um, really, for our sustainability. So uh, that's what the platform is about. Um, and it's gone from success to success. I mean, we even had Sundar Pichai there last year, who's a Google CEO, uh, joining virtually. Um, so I'm very proud of that. And the second one, which we'll be talking about later, is Rosberg Extreme Racing fully electric in the Extreme E Championship.
0: You that, that that's an excellent segue. But how did Extreme E come about for you? Because obviously you're you're an investor in Formula E as well. So was Formula E was that a jumping point or so you know when you became involved with Formula E was was there talk of Extreme E already or did that sort of come out of the blue?
2: Um, no, Formula E, I, I looked at right after F1 and I was so convinced that this e-mobility uh, would, would take off. Um, and so uh, there was an opportunity there to invest into, into Formula E and, and, uh, and become a part and, and support them in, in different ways. So I took the chance and it's gone great. I mean, that's, uh, it's almost a unicorn now and, and they've got, done a fantastic job and, uh, and also uh, brought in all these different manufacturers. Um, and really, I mean, it's uh, the way they've positioned the championship, that the races go to the fans, into the city centers. They really showcase electric mobility, make electric mobility cool. Um, it has a great purpose.
0: Yeah, and, and of course, out of Formula E, from the, the am- amazing mind that is Alejandro Gag, comes Extreme E, of which you are, of course, entering a team. So, so tell us about your Extreme E entry. For those who might not be familiar with the champi- championship yet, tell us a bit about how it works.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So Extreme E, um, it's also a global championship. And here we've got one make, fully electric SUVs, off-road SUVs, and we're racing in the most extreme locations around the world. Uh, there's five races, um, and each location is uh, is severely under threat from climate change and has already been quite damaged from uh, from climate change. And so we're racing there to raise awareness for the threat that it's already causing in our planet. But not only that, we're also going to go there to um, to support the local projects and and really um, create a, a lasting lasting positive
1: change in those uh, local areas. And something that's very cool about this championship, which some people might not know about, is the paddock and how that gets around. Tell us a little bit about the, uh, the arrangement with the boat.
2: Yeah, of course. I mean, logistics is something which is difficult to, to make it uh, uh, climate neutral. And therefore, um, Alejandro thought that the best would be to, to buy one of the most sustainable big ships there is out there. Uh, which is the same boat as Greenpeace use, actually. And so the whole paddock is on there and traveling on there from race to race around the world. And that reduces global emissions from the logistics by two-thirds. So it's a big, big step in the right direction. Of course, it's not zero, but on the grand scheme of things, we will certainly be climate positive uh, with all the impact that we're going to be generating. And another interesting aspect is we're also uh, locally at the races, all the energy is going to be powered by uh, hydrogen generators. Um, just using water and solar. So that's also uh, huge. And we're not going to be uh, causing any local emissions there.
1: Yeah, that's great. I think hydrogen is certainly one of those to look out for. Seems to be the future for sure. Um, is it too early yet to have any expectations for extreme e? Do you, Can you start to work out already who the stronger teams are going to be?
2: Um, yeah, we've worked that out. I mean, we are definitely going to be uh, fighting at the front. Um, and and our, our ambition is to fight for the championship, certainly. Um, don't really really want to name the other teams, but um, uh, it's going to be very competitive. And and that's the beauty of this. So I was mentioning before, Lewis uh, against me 2.0, now as team owners. This time, though, the the competition is going to be just as as fierce. Um, And as you know, it's going to be a lot of uh, uh, wheel-to-wheel racing because we're we're starting four cars alongside each other for each of the races um, during a weekend. And now to leverage and to see this this battle that Lewis and I, in this case, for example, will have as a vehicle to raise more awareness for some of the threats we're facing as a society. So really, to do to uh, um, to support the greater good. That's uh, that's the beauty of this. Uh,
0: another brilliant thing about Extreme E as well. Obviously, it has this huge climate angle but it's also um great for diversity and equality because every team has to have a male and a female driver now what are your thoughts on that and tell us a bit about you know your driver lineup and how, how you chose them
2: yeah that's so smart i mean equality is, is part of sustainability and uh, a big factor as we know uh, primarily we with the with the necessity to further empower um women around the world and and that's also we want to be a role model for that so each team uh, has a male and a female driver who share the driving duties. Um, and that's fantastic. You know, switching drivers in the middle of the races and, and the way they work together as well has been really nice to see within the team. Um, so hopefully we can really uh, inspire with that as well. Yeah. And, and beyond that, I mean, my, my team as well, we have a huge driven by purpose campaign, which we're launching where in each location, we're going to leave the location in a better state than when we arrive. So, Already in our first test in Spain, we, we engaged in a huge tree uh, reforestation campaign, and we're really taking that very, very seriously. And it's just as important to us as winning.
1: Have you, um, have you and Lewis spoken about the, uh, the championship and facing off against each other?
2: Not yet, actually, but I'm sure we'll have the opportunity at some point. But he'll he'll be quite busy again this year. So uh, yes, I
1: imagine.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, how many races is there this oh, year in f Like twenty three. Twenty
0: three races. Yeah. It's, wow. it's crazy. It, well, how, how do you how do you feel about that? Twenty three. Is it too many?
2: Um, if I was a driver, I would be saying it's really pushing the boundaries. But now, as a spectator watching, I would love to see thirty five races.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were always saying the same. We're like, what are they moaning about, these F1 drivers? God. What, what's, your, what's your take on, on, um, on current Formula One and, and, and how excited and do you think these changes that are hopefully going to come in in 2022 are going to make a big difference to the sport?
2: Yeah, so I just saw a post yesterday uh, on Instagram, I think, from Formula One. And it's so cool how they are as well now um, becoming more and more purposeful in what they're doing. Um, of course, there's uh, the, the um, racism racism topic, which is uh, very important, which Formula One has been using as uh, as a, a, its platform to support. Um, then climate change, of course, um, and also equality, and um, that they're really now ramping up all their projects, and and it's it's fantastic to see. But but beyond that, which is a lot about raising awareness, I also really want to see even more being done. That the technology that they b- still are continuing to be technological innovators where we all benefit from eventually. So the race to road transfer of technology and there, I think that the huge opportunity is, is with, with synthetic fuels. Yeah. Um, because it will take years for electric mobility to penetrate globally. And then also, electric mobility alone is not enough. You need to have renewable energies uh, powering those electric cars. And until that happens in the emerging markets, it's gonna take years. Yeah. So there might be a, a fast-tracking way by using synthetic fuels. The problem is synthetic fuels are very expensive to produce. The logistics are also still very polluting. Um, so there's still some challenges. But if one, if one if, if F1 could play a key role there, that would be beautiful.
1: That's a really interesting topic because we, we've often asked guests, you know, what, what is the future for Formula 1? Is it beca- going to become obsolete? Formula E has this, um, you know, single-seater electric contract sewn up so they can't go fully electric and probably wouldn't want to go fully electric. Do, do you think on the basis, to your point about synthetics and so on, that Formula 1 still has a future, you know, 20, 25 years from now?
2: Oh, absolutely! Formula One will always remain the pinnacle of motorsport. It's what we, uh, what we love most. Uh, um, seeing those gladiators out there fighting, so certainly will remain. But they need to do their homework and they need to uh, stay relevant, also uh, technically. Um, and it's not—it's just not easy to because the decisions they need to make, like five, six years in advance, and it's so difficult. Because another one would be fully electric is not an option because the yeah. battery density is not. Uh, is not high enough yet, so you're going to be going too slowly if you go electric. Uh, unless you do swappable, swappable batteries, that would be an option um, to, to uh, keep the performance up. And if not, you have hydrogen, which uh, which would be fantastic really as a solution, but it's, uh, it's maybe too early because it's just not relevant yet for the mobility world. Um, mm. So uh, it's, it's a very difficult one.
0: i yeah. will be fascinating to see what how it all unfolds in, in the coming years. And and speaking of the future, we we've seen obviously in the news last week Lewis Hamilton's just signed for another one year deal with Mercedes. What do you think about that? Do you think he's done after after this year?
2: Um, no, I, I don't know. I can't put myself in his head, but uh, I think uh, it was it was great news um, because of course we all love uh, love watching him. Uh, fight out there and, and battle the Max Verstappens of this world. And um, and it would be incredible to watch him on his way to trying to get that eighth title is going to be uh, pretty insane.
0: And what do you think Valtteri needs to do to to, to do what you did and beat him?
2: He, Valtteri needs to become more consistent, I think. Um, and also, he needs to um, use Lewis's weaknesses a little bit more. Um, Lewis has a tendency sometimes to, like, to like uh, lose a little bit of focus and then drop drop the ball a little bit and and if you pounce if you pounce big time onto that you can extend that period for a couple of races so he really drops the ball for a couple of races then mm. but if you don't pounce on it he'll be back straight away uh, and it's there's the only opportunities you have to make inroads into his into his points um, because when Lewis is at his best it's, it's so difficult to beat him um, and that's what Valtteri just needs to try and do. Better and he needs to be more consistent as well to use those those periods um, more often.
0: Do, do you think his seat is seriously under threat from, from George Russell after you know that that brilliant display in Bahrain?
2: I don't know if the, that seat necessarily is under threat. I mean, Valtteri is doing a very very good job in that position. Um, he still finished second in the championship last year. He wins races, gets pole positions, so you can't you can't say he's doing a bad job. And um, but of course, George Russell. Uh, is a fan favorite uh, in a big way. Um, and we, I mean, yeah, we'd all love to see him in a, in a Mercedes. So uh, he'll definitely have a, have a chance at some point in the future.
1: Now, um, Nico, we have a, a final three questions, um, which we ask all of our guests and they throw up various different answers. Um, I'm actually going to, in, on this occasion, make it four. Um, they're relatively quick fire. The first one, I, I want to know, you, you've had a glittering career. You, you've done everything you set out to do. You're a Formula One world champion and, and you're now in business. If you could, would you have done anything differently? Is there anything you would have changed in your path to the present day? Uh,
2: absolutely. Um, there, there's uh, quite a few things I would uh, I would change. Um but but I don't really feel the urge necessarily. Like it doesn't come to me every day. Oh, I wish I could have changed it in the past because I'm I'm so lucky that I that I managed to fulfill my my dream in such a way in the end. If I wouldn't have managed to do that, uh, certainly it would be more difficult to live with. With the the mistakes that I uh, that I did along the way, yeah, and mm-hmm. I suppose
1: mistakes, you know, they're not a bad thing, are they? You know, you, you learn from mistakes. It, it gives you that extra knowledge. Um, yes, of
2: course. So if I can add to that, so since I spent so much time with a psychologist, and um, that was one of the key things that I worked on, it's to um, to learn to not only uh, hate failure, but to also uh, accept failure, and even even sometimes appreciate failure. Um, very difficult, but uh, to be aware of that. Try and appreciate failure. Of course, not every failure. Some failure is really horrible. But if it's not too bad, then then really appreciate the failure because it's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to become better. Yep. And it's only thanks to failure that I became world champion.
1: Yeah, very wise words and, and completely agree with that sentiment. And that actually brings
0: us nicely onto our second question. How much of your success is down to you know luck and right place, right time? And, and how much is down to, to sheer hard work?
2: Luck uh, always plays a role. If I think back in my career, there was always luck in, in so many steps of the way. But the big point is, very most of the time, you create your own luck by mm-hmm. by hustling, by being tenacious, by practicing the hell out of it. You can create your own luck, and then and then grab hold of it. You know, with two hands, and don't let, don't just let it pass by, yeah. and be courageous. Uh, also, into been pushing into discomfort because it's in discomfort where you grow most. Yeah. Um, so that's why I luck. Yes. But, uh, on a, on a, it's not the big, big thing.
1: Our uh, second to last question. I'm going to uh, mess up the order, Harry. Sorry. I'm, I'm keen to ask this one. Um, what are you scared of?
2: Scared of losing <laughs> even after all that mental training, <laughs> uh, still scared of losing, scared of failing, scared of failing. Um, for example. There we go. Yeah. I'm scared of um, hurting myself. What? <laughs> oh, fair. <laughs> Phys- physically hurting so I'm, yourself. I'm not the adrenaline junkie. Like, you wouldn't see me going high speed in, in something crazy. Yeah, fair
0: well, dude. So. Fair. Well, Tim's gone off script now, so I'm going to improvise for what the last question is. I'm assuming it's what does the future hold? Am I right, that? No, that's, I, that's,
1: I was going to go, what's got you excited? We've done that one. Have we, no, we haven't. Have we? No, we haven't done
0: it. It's all fallen apart at the very end. <laughs> right, we'll edit that bit out.
2: No, he, it, what's got me excited is that I'm continuing my legacy now um, for my second part in life. And, and I wanna have massive impact uh, as a businessman.
1: Yeah, no, it's. It, well said. And, you, and you're clearly doing that. It's, it's amazing what you're doing with um, with your festival, um, your entrepreneurial exploits, obviously, Extreme, your sustainability goals. I think it's all fantastic. It's in, it really inspiring for us to hear, our listeners, and obviously the next generation, which is coming through, which is obviously very important to you. Um, and by
2: the way by the way my festival is 16 to 18 of june this year in Berlin and you can follow virtually as well
1: is it are you, are you hoping to have people there live
2: yeah yeah so we have this um, we've uh, we've invested a lot and a lot of time into into creating this uh, corona um, corona concept where last year we had 3,000 people on site in the middle of corona wow um, being super careful huh? and uh, and it's i mean super robust like yeah. there's no risk in there um so uh, so we're going to be able to do the event in person as well this year so it's hybrid
1: and how how does someone how does someone get i mean do you is this a you register or is it an invite only do you have to be in a certain field or could could you just buy a ticket and go
2: no anybody can register anybody can register online for the virtual uh, for the virtual part and if not you can also buy a ticket of course and join us in person
1: i feel a trip to uh, berlin coming in june harry it, it, it even awesome gets me out of the house, I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Nico Rosberg, Formula One world champion, um, all-round good guy, sustainability entrepreneur and businessman. Thank you so much for giving up your morning and joining us on the show. That's been the Motor Mouth Podcast. Nico Rosberg, thank you so much.
0: Thank you very much. Hold up, don't go anywhere. Before we wrap up today's show, we wanted to introduce you to Keith Bruce, the president of F1 Experiences, our latest podcast partners. Keith and his team offer incredible trackside experiences and VIP hospitality at
1: every F1 race on the calendar. That is correct. And Keith, first, thanks so much for partnering with us for the podcast. Having experienced your Champions Club suite in Japan myself, I can vouch firsthand for how good your product is. It's a pleasure to have you and the team associated with our show. And we wanted to highlight our appreciation by spending a few minutes learning a little more and letting our listeners hear it from the horse's mouth.
0: Absolutely. Um, now, Keith, your, your business is built, obviously, around hospitality. How on earth have you adapted to the situation we've all found ourselves in over the last year?
3: Yeah, it has been, needless to say, a, a uh, uh, just a crazy 12 months. Um, and so... Like like many of us in the industry, we've had to sit back and uh, and really take a look at how we could reinvent our business. Um, um, you know, the, the the pandemic created a kind of at first we were in that wait and see mode. How long is this going to take? And Formula One then starts up again in Austria as one of the as one of the leading global sports to to go back uh, to to live events, obviously without fans. So then it became when can we bring fans back? Um, and we had a, uh, a, 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 our one and only race in Portugal last year um, where Kate Bevan and her team produced a phenomenal paddock club. We produced the Champions Club that Tim referenced earlier that he was a part of in Japan in 2019. And um, we were able to create fan experiences. So it was fun to get back in the saddle and do what we do well, uh, even if it was just for one race. Um, but what it did is it motivated our team to really take a step back and say, OK, 2021 will still be a bit abnormal. Um, so how do we how do we look at uh, things like the virtual paddock club that Formula One has created in partnership with Zoom? Um, how do we create new updated experiences? How do we modify our hospitality to be you know COVID safe in in these environments? Uh, uh, we we watched the uh, hospitality industry um, and the trends we were seeing with with airlines and hotels for cleanliness and sanitary environments and things of that nature. So we just had to step back and completely take a new look at things and. And now we're getting ready to roll out this year, um, as soon as events allow fans to, uh, to 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 come to Formula One, and we're hoping Monaco is looking most likely to be that that first race of the year. So. Um, it has been, it has been a, a learning experience for
1: sure. Monaco, not a bad place to, to kickstart your, your real world hospitality. So for the people who don't That's know, right. who, who may not have heard of F1 experiences before, what are some of the, the sort of standout features of your hospitality, hospitality programs and, and what makes it different from other forms of hospitality?
3: Yeah, it, it, and it's a, it's a great question, Tim. I mean, for us, F1 experiences, we are the official experience, hospitality, and travel program of Formula One. So if you really think about it, our job is to motivate fans, both new fans and existing fans, to, to want to go to an F1 race. And we do that by providing what we call an ultimate experience, uh, to be able to go to a Formula One race with obviously a ticket in hand, but then to uh, experience some of the things that make a Formula One uh, journey so special, have inside access, great views, access to hospitality. Uh, that's essentially what we create. So we create custom packages that allow fans of all levels to, to, to come to a Formula One race and appreciate the sport. Um, it's important to note, too, that while we create these experiences, uh, you don't have to be a multimillionaire to enjoy uh, Formula One and, F- and through F1 experiences. We we offer a variety of different packages at, at different price points. Um, our our starter package starts at around seven hundred U.S. dollars, going all the way up to you know the ultimate Paddock Club experiences and beyond. So we we we've, we've worked hard to tailor our experiences to uh, the different types of fans who. Some might want hospitality. Some might want great views. Some just want to be able to roam the paddock and be able to see what's going on. and And that's our job: is to open up the sport, make it more accessible, uh, make it uh, you know more enjoyable, uh, particularly for new fans. Um, you know, the the Drive to Survive series has introduced Formula One to a whole new world of fans. And so, uh, the millennials are a huge focus for us. and uh, a, a lot of our fans in 2019 were relatively new to the sport. And obviously, we had to take a pause in 2020, except for the one race I mentioned in Portugal. And now we want to refocus on bringing those fans back, but also doing things that keep the core fans coming and wanting more. It, it's
0: a brilliant way it is, to, to allow not just access in general to Formula 1, but as you say, for those new fans, of which there are, you know, tons of new ones, as you say, thanks to Drive to Survive. So that sounds amazing. Now, you've put some... Um, Air miles in around uh, the F1 calendar in the last few <laughs> years. What is uh, your favorite place to visit and you know enjoy some trackside hospitality? It must be tough to pinpoint one.
3: Oh yeah, Harry, that's a tough question. I mean, they're <laughs> all. I mean, the beauty of Formula One is it travels to you know 21, 22 of the most beautiful markets in the world, right? So they're they're each in their own a fantastic destination. Um, personally, uh, you know, Melbourne's one of my favorite. Um, I, I love, I love. Uh, Melbourne, I love the the Victorian uh, hospitality, and um, you know it's such a sporting culture. Um, but it's but it's such an enjoyable place to kick off the season. Um, looking forward to going back there in November this year um, with the, with the change up in the calendar. Uh, we mentioned it earlier, Monaco. I mean it's the it's the ultimate Super Bowl, if you will, of of Formula One. Um, just the sights, the sounds, the energy. Um, and if we do in fact open up that being the first race of the year with, with hospitality and fans and experiences, which it's looking like that's going to be the case. Um, what, what a fantastic way to, to open up the season um, to fans, you know, globally, who will be watching it all around the world, but then, but then on site there, and we have a special relationship with the ACM, the, the automobile club de Monaco. So we have a, a unique partnership F1 experiences does with the ACM. So we have even more unique experiences around yachts and terraces and hospitality and, you know, the very special street circuit that is Monaco. So, um, you know, packages that allow you to enjoy the Cote d'Azur after the race. So it, it really is a unique race from that perspective. Uh, the United States Grand Prix, you know, in Austin, um, that's another, uh, that's another sweet spot for us. Um, it's a fantastic race. It, it, it happens at a great time of the year. Um, you know, I think this year you know, those last few races will really be important, uh, which is a little bit of a departure, maybe for previous years. So, I think the U.S. Grand Prix is 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 so enjoyable. Suzuka, uh, I know it's a, it's a favorite of the of the drivers. It's also a favorite of, of Formula One. Um, Tim, you've seen us in action there in Japan. We love that circuit and that race and the promoter there. And. Um, so, you know, those are just, those are just a few, um, you know, probably covered off three or four continents there, but that's, (laughs) that's that's formula one, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Now your job sounds like a dream job. You're traveling the globe under normal circumstances. You're attending these amazing, um, events, um, putting on these incredible, um, suites and surroundings. But I'm sure it has its challenges. But what's the best thing about your job and and flipping that on its head, what do you find tough about it? Is there anything tough about it?
3: Oh, yeah, there's <laughs> there's plenty tough about it. Um, uh, but i I think what I find most enjoyable about the this job is I came into Formula One, you know, new. my my background was in global sports event management, live live sporting events, but more, in other other mega sport like the Olympic Games, um, you know FIFA and UEFA and football, the National Football League. Um, I was you know, the CEO of Super Bowl Fifty there in San Francisco, uh, a, a three-year run to deliver uh, a phenomenal Super Bowl event. So I'm I'm no stranger to to you know major live sporting events, bucket list events, things of that nature. But Sorry, Formula Keith, One. Keith, just just, took it to a whole just new
1: level. hang on a sec. Just pause there. You were the CEO delivering the Super Bowl.
3: But Correct in, in San Francisco for three years from 2014 to we played the game in 2016.
1: So that's huge.
0: Um, so cool.
3: <laughs> that was a pretty cool experience. And it definitely helped me get ready for what, what is Formula One yeah. <laughs> in terms of the spectacle of the of the event. F1 Experiences was really one of the first business ventures that Liberty Media created in 2017 under Chase Carey and Sean Bratches. And so we we got to kind of fly the flag there in that first year to say we're different now. Formula One is, is new. It's unique. It's the same. All all of the things that you've loved about Formula One are there, but now you can see and do and smell and taste things that are just that are new uh, to the sport. And so, so that's been, that's been a real uh, a real fun aspect of this job over the last three years is, you know, having a whiteboard and creating this company called F1 Experiences and being able to deliver on, you know, uh, these, these, these dreams for fans to be able to come and, and, corpus to be able to use the sport as a way to entertain their customers. So all the applications that you would, you would expect. Right. Um, and, and Tim, the toughest part of the job really is just, it's just constantly innovating, right. Constantly coming up with new ways to, to entertain, to, to create new experiences, to create new partnerships. Um, you know, I mentioned drive to survive earlier, you know, clearly series three looks so much different than two looks so much different than one. And that's, that's just shows you the dynamic element of the sport. Um, and so our job is to deliver on that dynamic element and, and constantly be, be changing things, but be consistent and be authentic. And I think, you know, that's always tough in the job is we are, we are the business of formula one live at the event, right? So we want to, we want to maximize that experience for fans. Um, and so, you know, that, that is, that is part of our job is to, is to make sure we're, we're staying on the cutting edge of being uh, unique and, and innovative for our, for our fans. So um, that's, you know, that, that's probably one of the, I, I wouldn't say it's the toughest thing we do, but it's clearly the, the challenge that we're always thinking about. Well,
0: on that, I mean, it's an amazing journey so far, but on that, then what, what is in the pipeline for the businesses? I suppose we cautiously look towards the future and getting back to yeah. some sort of sense of normality. Uh, will you continue to adapt your offerings? What, what's the plan going forward?
3: Yeah, Harry, we will, uh, th- you know, we haven't really had a chance to unleash, uh, yeah. what we've been working on, but, you know, but, you know, behind the walls here for the last uh, few months, but, uh, clearly with, with COVID and the pandemic and the bubble system that's in place, uh, we have to do several things. We have to reimagine the experiences. Uh, we have to also you know, create an environment that fans actually want to go back to. So in a normal environment, our job is to entice fans to come to a Formula One race. Um, interesting stat about our 2018 and 2019 years, the first two years we, we were in business, 85% of our fans traveled 1,000 kilometers or more to want to go to a Formula 1 race. So that, that travel component of, of what we're about really resonated. And so, you know, we want to get fans back in that mindset where it's okay to travel to Formula 1 races. And while, you know, in 2021, it might be a little more local than than in international at some races, um, you know, we, we're going to create experiences that allow fans, for instance, to, instead of going into the paddock, if the bubble is still in place, They'll be able to go down onto the grid. Um, you know, they'll be able to see what's going on down in that hot spot, that 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 place that people love to go. It's like going down into the middle of the pitch in, in football, right? So you're you're right there in the action. You're being able to see things. Um, you know, um, you know, uh, at the end of at the end of the race day, uh, we're going to invent new hospitality methods that allow fans to feel safe. You know, with with using the latest restaurant protocols, working with Kate Bevan. Um, and her, her team and, and, at Faux at has, you know, Formula One hospitality to, to make sure that we're delivering an experience that is, um, you know, up, up to the standards that are required. It's interesting. You know, we did with, with Formula One in January, we worked together and we did some fan research. And uh, we used the F1 fan voice. And so just to find out what what's the mentality of the fan? Are they ready to come back? And, and it, we, we, we found, in fact, that they are. You know, 80% of the, the fans that responded were considering going back to a Formula One race, if not this year, but in 2022. So that's that's four in five people. So that clearly shows you there's pent-up demand. Mm-hmm. And so, but they wanted to, you know, they wanted to know they were going back into a safe environment. Um, and they wanted to know they could still enjoy some unique experiences. And so we've had to reimagine knowing, knowing that our normal Friday evening for our fan packages are they come down, they meet outside of the of the paddock in the pit lane, they get a custom tour of all these unique stations that we've developed over the course of an hour and a half. They go to the paddock club and meet a Formula One driver and have a taste of the paddock club and a wonderful reception. You know, that changed. You know, that that's now not currently on the on the roster. So now we have to come up with new ways to bring the paddock to them in the environments that we can control, take them down into places like the grid and, and other places where, you know, that's, that's allowable. Um, and, and, and then, you know, when the restrictions start to ease, hopefully in the, in the second half of the year, um, you know, we'll then modify, you know, we'll adapt and be able to go back to some of the places that we were able to before. So we're really just working in lockstep with formula one, um, to be able to, you know, follow their guidance on, you know, what we can do to still create a, a meaningful experience for our fans um and then hoping you know we can start to return to some of the things that we know were a, a huge hit and, and and things that fans love to do that involve being able to go back and access the you know the paddock and the pit lanes and another other special parts of the circuit
0: I think one thing's for sure it's going to be a, a, an amazing season and the more you think about it the more a driver is capable of, of a podium it's it's brilliant how competitive the grid is Keith, once again, a huge thank you to you and all the team at F1 Experiences as well for joining us uh, for this show and for the whole and for the first five episodes of this season. Without without partners like you, we really couldn't do what we do. So it allows us to continue to to bring the biggest names in and around uh, racing to our listeners. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And don't forget, everyone, that Motormouth listeners can benefit from a five percent discount on your own F1 experience. You can enjoy all the stuff that Keith has been talking about. So visit F1Experiences.com. Use the code MOTORMOUTH when you check out to enjoy that tidy little discount. Keith, thank you so much for joining us and um, signing off this uh, lovely episode we had with uh, Nico Rosberg. All the best for the upcoming season, well, for the rest of the season. And hopefully we'll see you Trackside soon. Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth Podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official, and Facebook just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans, and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumours quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motor Mouth Podcast.